Welcome to Centred Stories. I'm Nikki Shale, and this is a podcast series created by Thames Festival Trust in partnership with Valence House Museum and the National Lottery Heritage Fund. We're going to journey into a unique part of London's history via our sense of smell, uncovering stories of what it felt like and smelt like to work and live along Barking's River Roading and Barking Creek. Historically, Barking's been a place where London sent the smelly stuff it didn't want, sending it downwind and downriver, from rotten fish to factory fumes, sewage to smoke. We'll explore layers of smells and stories across this podcast series. In today's episode of Centre Stories, we're going to look at stories of industry, exploring what it was like to work in Barking's many factories that existed along Abbey Road and the Riverside across the 19th and 20th centuries. What were the dangers of working with pungent chemicals? And how did locals deal with fumes produced by the factories? What were the effects on public health at the time? We're going to look at several different people's interviews, covering industries including timber, paint and chemical works. We're also going to speak to someone who worked in a jute mill up in Dundee, Lily, a retired weaver. There was a barking factory creating jute from rope to sacking that existed However, it closed before living memory. So we're going to speak to Lily instead to find out a little bit more about what working with Jeep was like. When I left school, my friends said, we'll be weavers. I knew I was going into the Jeep mill. So we got jobs as weavers, apprentice weavers. My mum was a spinner, my brother was a spinner, my brother was in the calendar, my brother was a cleaner. It was all different machines. We got about 11 processes to get the clock. I went in and we got started as apprentice weavers to weave the cloth and we got six weeks training which I picked up and then from there I had two looms and then I had six looms. It was useful for lots of things that it made for uh, carpet backing, it was made for the wagons in America. When it went and got waterproof, your cowboy wagon covers, it made for tent covers, it allowed horse pipe, you had it in shoes, you had it in, during the war, it was in the, the sandbags, it was in the sacks. So a jute was in about a hundred different projects, you had no idea what jute was in. We did an awful lot of what we call linoleum backing in Dundee, because over in Fife, they made linoleum, and Dundee did quite a lot of the backing of it. But then, like everything else, linoleum finished, and out came all the carpets. So we were moved on to these massive, great big looms that took the whole back of the carpets. And Dundee was going 24 hours a day. You know, we went on shifts 6 to 2, 2 to 10, 10 to 6, and then plastic arrived, and that's when it all finished. I live in a duke mill, converted, and all the windows are in the roof. And it was dark. And dull. It was just and so much dust and the smell and oil. Oh, it was unbelievable. Um, everything had to be oiled. The machines were all oiled and oil on spinels and that. So you had oil on your hands. And the jute had oil in it as well. You talked about the dust. Did you have any protective clothing or anything? Oh, no, no, no. You just wore your own clothes, yes. Yes, it wasn't a... You'd all this dust everywhere. I was on your hair and your eyes, and if you put a cup, it gives you a cup of tea, and if you put it down, you couldn't drink it because the top was covered in stuff. Or we say in Dundee, we call it stuff. The stories is the dust. Oh yes, I 
everything was covered in dust. Mm-hmm. Your clothes, every, you took it home with you. A lot didn't be as bad for people with the chest, which you could imagine, you know, with the, all the fibres over all the place. You were all dream working. And did you have any meal breaks at lunchtime or anything? No. You were there, you were trying to make a living for yourself, and you had six machines, so you just had to concentrate on six machines up and down all day. Was it a noisy place to work? Yeah, that's how I'm deaf. Oh, the noise is unbelievable, because you could find about two, three hundred, some people had four or five rooms. Now, all you had was this clattering, clattering from the half past seven in the morning to half past five at night. And all the different machines, the noise is unbelievable. Most people were deaf, because there were no health and safety. You never thought about protecting your ears. My whole family were deaf. You could hardly speak to anyone because of the noise. And if you did speak, a lot of people used to speak through their, their fingers. You had sign, sort of sign language. You had fires, because so sometimes machines would go up, and then you had the smell of burning jute, and then all the smoke. And that is really horrible. You've never experienced anything but the smell of burning jute. And then you had the smoke, and if the windows opened, it opened. If they didn't, they didn't. And that was just, just the way you were. You just accepted it all. What about health and safety rules? Oh, no health and safety. Were there any good things about working there? No. <laughs> what were the wages like? Well, my first week, because I was only 15, and uh, that was 1954, I had my first pay because I was only out paying for five shillings a week. I got a shilling a day. Until you learn, and then we began to be peace workers. Yeah, I'm Michael Kelly. Which industries to you characterised barking? Well, the ones that were closest um, to my home, the engineering, the paint factory, which was a pretty smelly sort of um, environment too, they were the closest to home. At the top of the road, you had the tin self extraordinary name this place had, the Self-Opening Tin Box Company. And as a child, what is a self-opening tin box? Well, actually, it means one with a lid. It's not one that opens itself, but it was called the Self-Opening Tin Box Company. Um, at the top of the road, it was metalworking industry, and just over the bridge, um, Crow, the oil company uh, that was on the, uh, on the, on the river there. Uh, and then just further along, Masters Matches, which had been uh, an offshoot of the, the works in Bow, I think, uh, originally. The Masters Matches factory, as I say, changed over to become an engineering works in the 1960s, became Delaney Galley. That said, when I was at school, uh, at primary school, I, my guess would be half of the children in my class that their fathers worked in Fords, because that really was a gigantic uh, works and a huge employer locally in Barking Dagenham and from further afield too. So the industries, if you were coming up the Gascoigne Road, the smell of the William Warm Rubber Works was um, unmistakable. But uh, the, um, the environment was one in which, um, yeah, it, it, industry was just ubiquitous. It was everywhere. Um, there weren't terribly many green fields at our end of Barking, really. At least not as you headed into town. James Brown Albert. And what was your role at um, Sightseeing Paints? I was a paint maker. I still remember my wages as well. £7.10 a week. And I used to do 10 hours overtime 
my take home money was eleven pound. I used to buy a Ben Sherman shirt every every week. Uh, give me mum housekeeping money plus all my train fares, and still have change at the end of the week. It was only eleven pound. Just don't seem possible now. <laughs> I was there for about a year and a half, I suppose. And I got fed up with the the travelling. And my brother was working in a, a woodyard down on Thames View. And he was like working in the sawmills. And he said to me, he said, there's a job going in the offices. So I applied for that. And become a wages clerk at Store Softwoods. And then I transferred from there to their sister company, Blackmers. And I think it was from Blackmers I went to Silex and Paints down at Abbey Road. I was there for 13 years. And what was your role at um, Silex and Paints? I was a paintmaker. Messy, dusty, smelly, but it was good. I mean, it was like think back now, like you know, the health and safety we've got now. I mean, we used to make lead-based paint, and it's like bags of lead powder, and they give us a little face mask and a pint of milk. And I, I don't drink milk, so you make yourself that, and that's all it was was just this little paper mask to stop the dust going down, like you know. I mean, it was a. Uh, 45 gallon barrel of formaldehyde and you used to have to get something like about three grams of this to put in a hundred gallon batch of paint as one of the dryers and you imagine you had a little sample pot right and you've got a 45 gallon drum and you've got to get it out that 45 gallon into a little sample pot got nine times out of ten it's spilt everywhere and I remember the, the smell of it like you know it just really turned your stomach I couldn't eat anything after that I didn't think anything of it. Like, you know, it's only in later years I actually checked up on formaldehyde and I found how dangerous it was. Ammonia, again, 45 gallon drums of that. And again, you'll get a little sample out of it to put in the paint. No protection. What was the milk for? It was uh, apparently um, when you're doing the, the leg based paint, right, in, like with the powder, and they give you a pint of milk and it's supposed to have counteract the, the powder. For you to drink, yeah. So, to, so the when if you'd inhaled the powder, the milk was supposed yeah, to yeah, supposed to neutralise it sort of thing. Wow, <laughs> that, that was that was hell with safety in the days. And would you be so apart from you'd have the mask? Would you have gloves? Would you have any protective clothing? You had, you could have gloves, but you couldn't really work in them. Like you know, it's, it's awkward, like you know, because the, the bags would slip out your your hand and things like that. Like you know, you got like with the um spirit-based paints, you've got white spirit on the gloves, and it's just on your hands all the time. So it's just better just to use your, your bare hands. And you said it was smelly, and you meant what what kind of smell did it? Um, it depended on the paint. Um, there was a, oh, so, so long ago, I can't remember the, the exact paint, but it, it had a right um, pungent, sickly smell to it. And it was okay when he was making it, like you know, all the raw ingredients. It was once it was made, and then you got to pour it out and get it into the tins, and you just get a whiff of it. And I mean, again, it's one of them. Like when it comes to dinner break, you you still got this smell inside you, like you know, and you just couldn't eat anything. Was, but I mean, the gloss paint, it was all right. Like I got quite used to that, and like the emulsions, no smell to them really. It's just certain, and we had a little, um, it was a kind of shed out the back, and you used to make oils and varnishes in there, and some of them, they, they smell a bit like, you know, plus there was a um, chemical factory next door to us, 
Barford oils. And they used to do a lot of oils and and so it was because of them that the fishing smack closed down. When did you say you stopped working in the with the paints? How long um, did you work there for? I started in seventy one, so it would have been eighty eighty four, something like that. And um did you enjoy it despite the smells? Were they were they good yeah, to the job? It was um it's only about twenty people, thirty people there. Like you know, so it's really it's more like a family working there, like you know, and so my mum used to do the cleaning there and they say I've got the job. What were the paints used for there? Were they um industrial um, paints? Do you know where they were yeah, being sent um, to? Originally we was doing the um all the road lining paints. Like, you know, for that that might actually be the one that had that horrible pungent smell. Like we had a contract with the council, did all the um the yellow line paints, all that sort of stuff. Um and then the industry was kind of moving away sort of thing, so, and as I said, it was Sherwood's paint just down the river to us as well. So we started getting more into like the gloss paints and emulsions. Um, I actually made the, um, the gloss emulsions and the um, exterior paints, like stone paint and sand coat. And we smoked them in like thousand gallon batches. It was, it was tiring, heavy work, but it's enjoyable at the end. Like, you know, you just see all these bags of powder and like, you know, kind of shoots of sand going into this thing, like, you know, and it comes out and you've got this tin of paint, like, you know, there's it's a lot of satisfaction in it. And were there, um, were there women as well as men that were working yeah. in the roles? Yeah, the, the women were mainly um, doing the filling, filled the tins up, like, you know, we was on the, I think it was on the fourth floor where we actually made the paint, no, third floor, and then the filling was done on the second floor. And, and so, where the uh, the malt house is now, the where the boathouse bar is, um, turned it into offices now. But before they did it all up, there used to be um, a hoist come out, and then from the hoist going down to the next floor, there was just a load of paint down the wall. Where it's a fifty gallon kind of container of paint, and we had to take it out on the hoist and lower it down to the second floor. And of course, it just caught on the edge and. Over it went, so it decided to paint the wall. And you said that there was um, yeah, a chemical factory next door? Yeah, it's um, Barford Chemicals. Um, they, they mainly did like oils and stuff, and I mean, that threw up quite a few smells as well, like, you know, the, the oil, sort of the, the cooking it, like, you know. And I remember one of the other smells there, I've asked people, but nobody seems to remember it, but it used to be. Um, because you know, dinner breaks, like, you know, on a summer's day, we used to go and sit out, climb through the windows, and just sit on the wall by the river, eat our sandwiches there, like, yeah. And certain days, I had a really sickly smell come over, like, you know, and I asked about it at the time, and I said, oh, so it's embalming fluid, and apparently there was a factory on the other side of the river that made embalming fluid, but everyone I've asked, nobody remembers it, and yeah, I, I distinctly remember that sickly smell, depends what way the wind was blowing, like, yeah. And just got that sickly, sickly sweet smell come over. <laughs> and where did and where did you work? Yeah. Oh, 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 Master's Match Factory when I was getting about two pounds something a week, and I moved to Thames Plywood shift work, and I got four pounds something a week. 
I know you said this the other day. No way. She come to work with me on the bleeding big machine. No. We've had this argument. I probably was wrong. I know I used to work Saturdays. I've seen a photo. We're using it a lot for our project. Of yeah, the tennis ply with signs out by the. Oh yeah. Oh, it was lovely. Because in the break times you could go outside sometimes yeah. wouldn't you and have your lunch and what was the river like then i don't remember seeing the river actually from there well we used to see the, the boats used to come when i went to another part of the factory where they brought the raw logs in off the river and then they used to go on these roller things and they used to roll this the peel off and you know they what they call it peel Bark. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, sometimes the wood, when it came off, because it was peeled by heat, the rollers were heated, and the smell used to come off there was dreadful, and sometimes you'd burn your hand. I had a friend, and we ended up going all around the factory, and every time we went, we got another penny or tucks an hour. So we was all right. Me and Dolly Brown, my God. I knew Dolly Brown. I knew Dolly Brown because we worked together for years. And we used to go all over the place because we qualified to do all sorts of jobs, you know. <laughs> I was 18. <laughs> now I'm bloody 88. <laughs> <laughs> I to, yeah, because I left the barking match. So yeah, so you worked at the match factory. Yeah, that's where I started. It was a cans after that, wasn't it? The cloud factory. No, I went. Oh, I don't know what it did after it. But one time, that Abbey Road was just one factory from start to finish. Because my cousin used to work where they made the matches, but I worked up the other end where we made the boxes. It was. That well run. <laughs> it started from peeling the looks whatever to. Yeah. And that's where we get matchstick carling from. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. And you think that's true? Because when I've been reading it, saying some people think that's where yeah. the name came from, but you Apparently say that's where it came from. That's it, yeah. yeah. What, what were you doing at the match factory? What was your part of the... My part was making boxes. Oh. We used to have this machine and you had these bits of cardboard and you put them in and you press the handle and next thing you know you had a box. <laughs> when I worked there, it was called Clover oh. Can, they'd done cans. Oh. They'd cans. Yeah. But then a match. Yeah. Change. Oh, always oh, after it's. Yeah. Clover cans. Clover cans. Yeah. 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 You know what the cans were used? What were the cans were used? Oh, different. Uh, uh, in, um, food to paint and things like that. And I used to do the end on where, where the lids were. Oh, I did this. And the smell of paint as you came into River Road off the end. Oh, yeah, yeah. When you used to come into Barking, there was a smell. That, oh, that particular there was a, smell. Do you know? Do you remember Abbey Road? Do you remember Abbey Road? There used to be a chemical factory, and oh my God, did that take your breath away? And I'll tell you what, there used to be a, a sweet smell in Tent Road. Did, did they make sweets up at biscuits? I think. I can't remember. Yeah, one of the factories. Smells, I can't actually remember. I remember the chemical factory, it would take your breath away. What kind of smell? Just a really. It was chemical. It yeah, was really yeah, stink. Yeah. Not all the time. Mm. It used to be there was a process they did, I presume. 
that's what I've heard a lot of people say that yes, certain days, exactly. if you were the wrong Sunday. side of the wind, that's yeah. when you get hit exactly. and you think, oh, they're doing that today or they're yeah. boiling up that today. That's it, yeah. yeah. I didn't live in Barking then, and when I used to come to see my grain, we used to have that smell every time as you come into Barking. Yeah. You smell that you smell. What was that smell? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it was. But was it not a nice smell? It wasn't nice, but it wasn't really odd, but it was a barking smell. <laughs> that was Alice, Ruby and Ruth chatting to us at Thamesview Library at one of their coffee mornings about what they remembered. They're all in their 80s now and they told us a lot about factory life as well as some domestic smells that they remember at the time. We also spoke to Eric. He's a retired Barking and Dagenham local who spent time working at Austin's Timber as a carpenter and joiner. He had a lot to say about changes he's witnessed in the area, but he got particularly passionate when he was showing the lack of health and safety that existed for workers at the time. Like many people, Eric's been affected by the hazards of asbestos and working with it in the area. And quite a lot of our interviews mentioned asbestosis when we talked to them about industrial hazards. Sorry, can you tell me your full name, please? Right, Eric Pesey. Eric Roy Pesey, actually. I was born originally on the canal in an old Victorian slum property in Lower Clapton. Unfortunately, my father got killed in a waterworks accident after two months of a born. I'm not very clever at school, but I did like woodwork. So when the careers officer in them days comes to the school, asks you what you do. Now, if you're in the D class, you can't do much else, but you happen to say, oh, I like woodwork. And he has got a great big wood firm all around in different areas. He's going to say, I've got just the job for you, son. So I started at this wood firm in East Ham called Austin's of East Ham. But don't be fooled by the name, because it was very involved in barking and of the area that is now being developed. What kind of wood were you working with, by the way? Mostly pine, a little bit of hardwood for the sills, but mostly ordinary pine. Um, the, the sills were made in two parts because it was cheaper. Because if you do a big window sill, if you make the sill part separate and fix it, and that just quickly brings that my little job I was doing, that quick the, the head and the head and seal of the window frame on the top and bottom bit. The head mould they used to glue and now on. Now at one time, before I got made up into a chippy, one of my labouring jobs was to put this stuff had gone through a glue machine and glued it and then they nailed it on. So I've sent this stuff through got glued with acid glue, it got nailed on. While the lady was nailing this strip of wood on with a, a nail gun, it jumped and nailed her finger straight to the timber. Oh my goodness. Did you wear, so when you were working with the glue, with the wood, were you wearing like, protect, were you wearing any protective clothing? In them days, you must be joking. Nothing. You didn't have any protective gear, the health and safety was different. You probably did have a pair of rubber gloves, but of course they weren't much good, they? Got, um, you know, you know, the same as you didn't have ear protectors. The main thing is when you were in that mill, you know, if you think the Lancashire cotton mills are noisy, you should go in a wood mill when you get these double ender. Well, they call it double ender. That puts all, and it's got it's got eight big motors each side, 
and then you've got two of these machines each side of each other and a big big circular sewer. Very noisy. And was there a set? Can you remember any smells to do with the wood? I suppose wood pine's got its own smell, but again, like you said before, you just get used to it. You uh, you don't think nothing of it. But again, again, see again with the modern moulders, they're all wood enclosed. You don't get no dust. Wood has been linked to uh, lung cancer as well. I'm hoping the one. I don't mean the one I had the year that happened to have, but there was a couple of boats got not our place. Uh, one did at the barking place get asbestosis, and that was because the flush doors, fire ones, of asbestos in them. So Cape Asbestos wasn't the only place using asbestos in barking by a long way. There was another wood factory as well, or making fire doors, and when you make fire doors, you put asbestos in the middle of them. So you just take that as part and parcel of the... They, they used to tell us that white asbestos, it was only the blue asbestos. Uh, I think we've found out different since then. And what about women within the industries in Barking? Can you tell us a bit about were there women working then? That is a very good point. Because once I went to work, I found working in this wood factory was lots of women. And they was working as hard as any men. These big window frames... They were picking them up, moving them, uh, uh, and things like that. Uh, quite a lot of, you know. You didn't get cheeky to the women, however, if you were a young man, I can assure you. But I just don't take my word. In the Austins of Barking and Ilford, there was uh, lots of women working. Uh, I will tell you one story, whether you were edit out or not, but it's a true story. We had one lady knocking up legend place doors. That's these doors made up of strips of wood with an ungoing across an angle. And she was knocking these up with a hammer and literally just bang and an owl would go in. One of the men working there decided to get a bit out of hand. And he inappropriately touched the lady. This lady promptly turned round. He forgot that she could bang these nails in like that, and she smacked him one. He's gone halfway across the factory floor. And instead of getting the sack, we heard about this at East Ham as well. It went round the factory like a good one, of course, and it amused all the blokes that this woman showed him, no, don't mess, and just hit him. Well. Any fella should have realised if she's knocking them nails in all day long, you don't want to get on the end of that one. Several people we interviewed remembered the traces of working life on their parents and grandparents when they came home from working in Barking's factories and industries. Whether it was parents covered in soot and smells from the Beckton gasworks or Barking power station. Avril, Jim and Mike tell us a little bit more about this experience. My dad was the type he would strip off his work clothes outside. He was very considerate. He was one of the very considerate people. And smelly fertilisers and things, clothes off outside, straight in the bath, uh, which my mum always had ready, of course. <laughs> my father was a lighterman and then a tug skipper, so he worked on the River Thames. Um, 
all his life. Uh, my mother was a secretary, um, and then latterly a school secretary. Can I just ask you what Leitridge was? Well, uh, Leitridge is the carriage of barges um, from ships into docks. It was the barges were originally called lighters for the very simple reason that as you unloaded the ship it got lighter um, and the lighter was the barge into which the cargo was loaded from the ship and then taken to some other destination that the ship couldn't access either because it would, the bridges were there or whatever. Lighterage was the trade associated with um, moving uh, the barges about. Originally of course they were either rowed manually um, or sailed, um, but of course by the 19th century steam-powered tugs had taken over a lot of um, the heavy duty pulling and made the whole thing much quicker. And it was a very busy bustling trade because London was in those days the busiest port in the world um, in terms of import-export. It was also an entrepot port, meaning that the the cargoes came into London to be re-exported to other places in, say, Europe um, or, or Africa. Um, so it's extraordinarily busy. And the barges came up um, from the Thames and the lightermen would bring them up and then they rowed them through the lock and up to the factories. You couldn't get a tug up there to, to pull them. Um, the main river, of course, the River Thames, our relationship was a really quite close one because when my father worked on it, so did my grandfather, and so had his father. So Lightridge was, um, was in the family blood almost, and um, almost our entire social circle, or my parents' social circle, were made up with people, made up of people in one form or another connected with um, the river, with Lightridge. When your father came home, could you tell what he'd been working on? Sometimes, yes, you could. There would be distinctive. Um, smells of the cargoes that he was particularly when he worked as a lighterman, so he was up and down in the barges. Um, and uh, sometimes he was filthy, you know, he would be black from head to foot with um, the sort of, if it was a cargo that um, was particularly dirty um, or sooty or whatever. Um, I do remember as a child, I, I was quite puzzled for a while because at the weekend there was this clean-shaven, clean chap who lived with us who seemed quite different to this bloke that came in of a night. Um, and I a little while to realise it was the same person. <laughs> you know, and they worked, and it, you know, hard manual work um, in those sorts of environments. You don't come home clean. And there was no facilities um, for them to wash or anything like, no wash houses or anything of that kind. They just came home as they were. And, um, you know, it was... Uh, <laughs> Well, anyway, so I was quite puzzled until I was at least two and a half and realised this was the same bloke. <laughs> you mentioned your dad worked at Beckton Gasworks. Yeah. Do you remember anything about that from when you were a child? Were you aware of what his job was? Um, I remember like, how dirty he was when he when he came home from work. Because um, he was um, what's called a stoker. And um, you said, rake all the um, coke out the uh, kilns and I mean he's kind of he's big black like um, he actually got his, his fingers because he got a, a lump of coke stuck in his finger and it um, got infected so his finger ended up actually crossing over and he's now had it amputated and just so his fingers are not crossed and when we used to play ball with him in the um, 
in the fishing smack, so I just try to leave a cue ball in the middle of the table because he couldn't balance on his one finger. <laughs> yeah, but I he had it pretty tough at the gas works. You know what I'm saying? When that close, obviously it's made redundant there, like yeah. You know what I'm saying? It seems all, all the old the old industries along there, like all closed down, like yeah. Apart from Bex and Sewerage Works. And um and your mum you said worked as a cleaner? Yeah, she was um a cleaner at Silexine. Oh, I don't know how many years she worked there. Um when that closed in um factory further along called Linnell's. They used to make the um, mail bags and she was a machinist in there like yeah and it was her and my youngest sister was a machinist in there. Um, I had a job in there, didn't last all that long. Like as, um, as I was machining, because it's all um, kind of piecework. Got to get as many done as, as you can, like, yeah. So it's just lines and lines of machines, industrial machines. And they're pumping out all these mail bags, and it's my job to go along and pick them up off the floor. And it just done my back in. I scarred up, sat alone on the floor, couldn't, couldn't lay in a bed. Like, yeah, I think I only lost about six months, if that. Terrible job, <laughs> but then that, that was a that was a compulsory purchase order for that factory, so that was pulled down to make flats. So, what did your <laughs> husband do? My husband, um, he worked at the power station. Um, he was um, a cleaner. He used to clean up after whatever the other workmen were doing. Um, if the electricians were lagging the pipes, he would clean up the asbestos after them because that's what they lagged them with. And um, he had a friend that was an electrician and my husband used to replenish the toilet rolls. <laughs> so what they did was when this electrician said, oh, I need some new rolls, my husband used to say, I need some light bulbs. <laughs> so they'd swap. <laughs> I know, naughty things that went on. But then they had, um, down there, they had a good relationship as well. Um, but, you know, the asbestos wasn't um, very good. And some of that got, the ash and everything got spread over the land where that new reach is being built now at the back. And they had to bring in fresh earth from outside. Have you noticed some of the houses are quite high? Because they had to build it up. They said it wasn't contaminated, but it was. Otherwise they wouldn't have built it up. So they're all higher than everything else. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons the power station had to go, because there was just too much contamination in it. Plus that smell as well when it was burning, you know, all the smoke and that they used to have, it was all the coal dust. And that's not healthy either. Although we all had coal fires to start with. When I moved into my house on Thames View, it wasn't the fire in the front room, that was it. Nothing else. The windows used to get ice on the insides. There's acrylic <laughs> iron type windows, single glazed, you know, in the winter, scraping the ice off from the inside. And all we had was that fire downstairs which was smoky and smelly and but that's how it was didn't have anything else at that time 
apart from the colour gas, I suppose, when you get one of those, put it on the top of the stairs, and again, this many again, everything is, that they used to have had a pretty nasty odour going to it, you know? But there we go, that was life. <laughs> it's changed drastically. So do you have any smells sort of, of your husband when he'd be working in the powerhouse when he came back home? He, I think the main smell he would have was a bit of coal and of course man sweat for working. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, straight in the bath as they come home because they didn't like the smells either. But I must admit, when my dad came home from work, I do remember he had um, what I call a man smell from the day. And when I smell that now, it really, I thought, oh, it's just like my dad. <laughs> really comforting, you might say, even though it's a sweaty smell. <laughs> but it was nice. It reminds me of my dad when he used to come home. That, um, yeah, that they just went straight and washed it all off and, you know, yeah, weird thing to have. <laughs> well, Harvard Road's on the very edge of Barking. Um, it was a turning as you came over the River Road and coming out of Barking on the London Road. It's, it was the first on the right there. Houses on one side of the road, and on the other side of the road were factories. Um, there was an engineering works, uh, a paint factory, um, a variety of other manufacturing um, and machine tool manufacturers. Um, and so it was a busy industrial place uh, Monday to Saturday lunchtime uh, and then on Saturday lunchtime it would all fall silent particularly when the engineering work stopped Sanders and Foster's was the company there um, when they packed up at lunchtime on Saturday suddenly um, a silence fell and um, over the back of the houses were playing fields um, and the one of the tributaries of the River Thames which by then a uh, river roading which by then had almost dried up uh, and there were allotments and playing fields. So it was quite a quiet environment at weekends, but during the week, um, it was a busy industrial place it, with lorries coming and going, deliveries to the factory. Um, and, um, and as I say, that was home till I was, uh, till I was about 17. The street itself, um, many of the people who lived in the street actually worked in either on the river, there were several other families who were lighterage families, as well as dockers and crane drivers. And so, of course, as a child, I thought there was nothing unusual about living in a, with neighbours who knew one's parents and had known one's parents um, since they were children, in some cases, uh, through the industry um, and through the river and the docks and all that sort of thing. And, of course, it was very easy to get down to the docks and the river, um, single bus down to East Town Town Hall and then the 101 down to Woolwich, which passed through all the Royal Docks on its way. On the, on the Hartford Road side, where I lived, um, as I said, the factories opposite back down onto the river, and some of them undoubtedly would have had cargo going in, although most, to my knowledge, most of the cargo that went up that far onto the roading was headed to the Cape Asbestos Works, and there was regular movement of barges carrying asbestos into the Cape Asbestos Works into the late 1960s. Below the bridge on the London Road, um, again, there were factories on either side, um, there was an oil works, um, the Crow Company, I think it was called, um, and they were busy and working, and a little bit further along was the old Masters Match Factory um, along the London Road there, um, which latterly became Delaney Galley, a, a, a um, manufacturing company providing parts to the Ford Works in Dagenham. 
Um, so industrially, it was very busy, um, and all of the noises, the sounds, the movement, the people, um, the smells associated with a busy industrial productive uh, area were all around us at that end of Barking. Abbey Road was full of factories. All of one side was just factories. Um, garages, car garages, mechanics, all of that. Um, the calf that's down Abbey Road, that's been there forever and ever and ever. And it's about the only thing that's been there forever and ever and ever, because everything's been taken away and gone, but that's still a calf there. Then they build around it, that's still a calf. Mm -hmm. Then they knock them out. That's still a calf, and it's, it's, it don't go anywhere. So that calf is really, really something. I don't know why they don't get rid of that, and I'm glad they ain't. But why they haven't done that, if you know what I mean, is it because they can't? I don't know what they're reasoning for that, but um, yeah, it was full of factories, and every morning, I may not have heard the vehicles, the lorries, but I'd feel them. Thump, 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 going down the road. And at first it was a bit like, oh my God, what was that? Do you know what I mean? But then I realised it was the lorries, could they be empty? <laughs> They'd be parking down the road, we'd have lorries down the road every night, parked up with their doors open, um, just letting everyone know there's nothing in it, nothing to nick. <laughs> and they'd be waiting for the next day, because they wouldn't be allowed to work that night, you know, in the night time, it was quiet time. And do you know what sort of factories they were? Do you know what there was a, um, a cell. They, they made cells. I can't remember what that company was called. I can't remember. But they made cells, and the one behind it made was Michael Linnell's. And they made post bags for postmen. And that's where I worked. There was also printers there underneath that. It was, there was loads of factories down there. You had the rubber factory down the other end. I'm not so sure if that was... I could smell the rubber. Don't get me wrong, it was awful when they're burning it and things. But um, when that went, I'm not sure about. Some of the smells down there, yeah. Sometimes it smelled like... You know the brewery in Monfrey? Did you ever get that smell there? Mm. I hated that smell, but it used to <laughs> smell like that in Abbey Road at times. I never knew why. And at times, it smelled like soap powder. But you get used to it all, and you get to know what sort of smells you're going to get at certain times of the year, but yeah, the factory ones, you never knew what you were going to get. Asbestos. And I must bring that in where we talk about barking, because they had the biggest asbestos called Cape Adversus are going. A lot of the people die of asbestosis. And one of the things they found out, I did have traces of asbestosis, which, okay, it'll take a bit long, but being on 70 odd, but you know, I want to emphasise, when we say smells, wasn't necessarily the smells sometimes, it was how hazardous these industries was. How long did your dad work at Laws for? Um, he worked there for a number of years, actually. He, when he came over from Ireland, um, he sort of came over to Liverpool. So he worked his way down to Barking, and then um, he got a job in Laws there, and I can't remember how long he stayed. It was a number of years, wasn't it? Was he watching with Aunt Tom? Yeah. That's my mum's sister, Aunt Dahl. My mum went to stay with Aunt Dahl as well. Um, they're not the same time though. <laughs> um, can you remember what year it was Dad worked at Laws? Until what and what? As soon as they got married. Which was 47. Yeah, so they got married in 47. That's right, they got the house. Then days, you could say, oh, this house is empty, we're married, can we have it? Yes, all right, in you go, paying the rent. But 
nothing like that now. Ten years ago in the line, you know, married, five kids, still haven't got a house, lodging with your parents. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you, as I say, you got married and lived at Four Creek Mouth. It was number four, wasn't it? Or was it one? Did you lodge at first somewhere else? Or did you go straight into four? No. Straight into four. So, I say he was there a long time, then he went to, then he went to Forbes, which nearly broke his back, because they said he was on the assembly line, and they said to him, um, one man said to him, oh, don't break your back, Tim. He said, you know, you have to let some of the cars go. He said, well, I can't, if I let them go, something's going to go wrong with the car. He said, can't help it. He said, if you don't let them go, you'll break your back. So, my dad hurt his back because he wouldn't let the cars go without the nuts and screws that were supposed to go in. So if your car falls apart, you'll know why. <laughs> um, yeah, and then he worked until he was 69 and a half, because he went to Cape Asbestos as well. And um, worked till he was 69 and a half. He wanted to make it to 70. So to get that little bit of extra pension, he didn't quite make it. He was taken ill, so he had to pack up work and then... Asbestos. Yeah, the asbestos from Cape got to him. Um, so he was hoping, you know, you get to 70 and you get, uh, I think it was um, a lot more benefits from the government because he totally missed out on all of it. So he still did little bits of maintenance as well, but when he wasn't doing that, he used to do other things and they were quite happy with what he used to do and he enjoyed it, so that's where he stayed. And the power station... Um, thank goodness, isn't really there anymore because, you know, a lot of people died of the asbestos diseases from there. So it's a good job that it's actually gone. Um, same with Cape Asbestos. That, uh, I mean, it's a good product, Cape Asbestos. It did its job, but they didn't realise how dangerous it was once you sort of broke it up. And other people didn't either. So, say, so good product gone bad, you might say. A lot of things are... From then, you think they're good at the time, but then that's it. <laughs> you end up doing dead opposite. There wasn't much about clean air in them days. Whatever had to go out, went out. You know, um, whether it's a power station, whether it's the glue factory, the smells just went up the chimney and into the atmosphere that spread around the neighbourhood. Um, wasn't very pleasant. Um, so this clean air was a good, good idea. Um, although there's a lot of pollution now with the diesels, but we didn't have the diesels and the petrol that we have today. We, you know, just a few cars on the road, nothing much. Uh, the odd bus used to run down occasionally from um, Barking down to the power station and back again to take the workers, but um, not many vehicles at all. So we, we weren't polluted by cars, but the factories, yes, you know, just straight up the chimney, whatever it was you cooking at the bottom, out the top it went. And that includes home fires as well, because you know the coal wasn't smokeless at that time, and they used to burn anything for warmth. And of course a lot of it was for cooking as well. You had to have fires for cooking if you didn't have a stove. Um, so the fires had to be on all the time, so smoke a lot of the time. And you'd see some kitchens, they were black with the smoke that came into the rooms, so it wasn't healthy to have it inside either, but there wasn't a lot of choice. There was no other heating for some. In what's called now Abbey Road, I think it used to be called Fisher Street, I haven't 
someone was explaining that to me, but it was called Abbey Road when I was a child, which was, um, which runs down to the ruins of the old Barking Abbey. Um, there was a park called Abbey Park. I think that's now just open land, but in those days it was a park with gates and fences and so on. Now the significance of that, it's where my primary school used to play football. That's where we would go um, one afternoon a week from the primary school. We used to walk there from school in our football boots. No such thing as changing rooms or anything like that. Uh, walk there in our football boots and play on the Abbey Park um, pitch. Now, the, the thing I do remember as, um, as a child, as a 10, 11, say 9, 10, 11 year old child, playing football in Abbey Park was the smell. Because sometimes it was almost choking. Now, I don't know which factory that was coming from. Um, I assume, and assumed then, it was one of those that were nearest by. In other words, the factories alongside the river there. Um, what the smell was, I don't know. Um, but it was utterly unmistakable. Um, and, you know, <laughs> you were running up and down trying to play football. It was, um, it took your breath away. Um, but the, the Barry Park was also on a hill, so we played running up and down a hill, which made us one of the fittest teams in the Barking Primary School League, and we were actually quite successful. <laughs> but um, it, was, uh, it, it really was quite something, this um, aroma that, um, that pervaded the park, um, and very close to St Margaret's Church, obviously, and the Abbey Ruins, which are at the bottom end of the park there. Did the choking smells ever put you off playing foot? No, of course not. Uh, football was just the the thing you know you lived for that that and then did you get selected in the school team for the following Saturday morning? Um, but uh, um, no, it never put anybody off. I mean, you you carried on regardless. And no, you know it, it's important to note, and you have to be very careful not applying the standards of the contemporary world to that world of the late 1950s, early 1960s, because I don't think um, there was any any understanding, or at least any worries about the nature of the atmospheric pollution um, and the aromas, that it was just there. And you, you know, that's where you lived and grew up and that's what you, you just did it. It wasn't anything um, especially alarming. I suppose in this day and age, there are all sorts of health and safety concerns might be raised, but in those days there certainly weren't. I suppose I was a bit unusual as a child because I was um, interested in what I came to realise in later life was public health. Um, and there were several things that struck me as odd as a child. Uh, the first was, as um, so I've already mentioned football, I was a keen football fan. I used to follow West Ham, go over to watch the games at Upton Park with my dad. And every Friday, the Stratford Express, which was one of the local papers, published the best reports of these football matches. So each Friday, I'd look forward to the local paper being delivered and reading the reports and seeing the photographs in the Stratford Express of the game the previous Saturday at Upton Park or wherever they'd been playing. However, something very odd began to strike me as, um, as a child, 8, 9, 10, was the regularity with which... Um, inquest reports in that paper which were reported each um, as all the court proceedings were but the thing about the inquest reports that puzzled me was that so many of them reported deaths related to um, asbestos disease what they in those days called asbestosis and um, 
it did strike me as rather odd that um, this was appearing each, well, regularly, I don't know if it was each week, but they appeared regularly enough in the papers, and yet um, no one seemed to put two and two together and um, try to do something about that. You mentioned asbestos. Mm -hmm. Were you aware of any of asbestos in schools at the time you were there? Yes, but not in the building, um, not as it used as a building material, but rather because St Joseph's was so small, um, it also used to borrow classrooms from Northbury School, um, which in, in Victorian times and early 20th century was known as North Street School. So that was the closest other school to where we... And we had to borrow classrooms there for certain types of activity. Um, and we didn't have a dining room either, by the way. We used to have to walk over to the Friends Meeting House uh, uh, in, um, in North Street for school dinners, um, which was uh, you know, three or four hundred yards away, I suppose. But the thing about Northbury School was um, the, there were times when you went over there where you thought these kids are really lucky because they've got snow. And what the children were able to do sometimes was pick up this white material and they could throw snowballs at each other in this kind of thing. Of course, there weren't, it wasn't snow at all, it was asbestos. Um, because the Cape Asbestos factory was adjacent to the school. Um, and um, from time to time, the emissions from the factory must have blown into the school and probably more widely into the atmosphere. So, insofar as asbestos was a problem, um, though I don't think anyone then um, imagined it was a kind of problem that we now understand it to be. Um, the, um, it wasn't that the asbestos was used in the building. In fact, I doubt that a St Joseph's or even Northbury School had asbestos at all in them. It wouldn't have been put in as a fire retardant when the places were built, um, given when they were built in the middle of the 1850s. Um, but it was this, um, this floating stuff in the air that caught one's attention. But insofar as, I mean, at you know, the age of 10, what do you think about that? You think, to do that um, with no sense on, and certainly not me not making that connection with reading the inquest reports um, I wasn't that cute <laughs> you, you mentioned asbestos in school presumably or would you have seen it in, in, in the wider environment as well outside of the school I don't think so I don't remember that um, it might have been the case and clearly um, the there, there is Asbestos fibres travel in the atmosphere. They also travel on people's clothes, um, the things they pick up. So, you know, it, it would be, I think, wrong to suggest, and I certainly don't have any recollection of seeing um, asbestos more widely, as it were, in the atmosphere. But, you know, given what we know about the way it travels, clearly, I'm sure it would have been. And that's why, of course, some of the deaths occurring... The thing about asbestos is the, there's a long, what they call, latency period. That's the time from exposure through to when the disease develops. Sometimes it can be very quick, um, but it can sometimes take as long as 40 years. So cases were still appearing um, a few years ago um, with people who never worked in the factories or any of the other industries that used asbestos locally. Um, so it was you know, being transferred by other means and exposure. It's important, though, just to remind ourselves that if, if I were to do a post-mortem on you today, we'd probably find traces of asbestos in your lungs. Um, and it's, 
So it's quite a normal thing. Um, it's the repeated exposures that um, what, what's called a dose-response relationship um, that leads to the build-up. And of course, not everyone is equally susceptible to developing the forms of cancer um, which, which come from asbestos exposure. You mentioned um, latency of the inception. Um, looking back, do you think possibly you would have seen some of the early signs with some of the people around you um, of asbestosis? No. Um, but what you need to remember is that um, in those days, um, so I'm talking about the late 50s, early 60s, smoking was ubiquitous. Um, I, I, every adult I knew smoked. Um, so the amount of respiratory and chest disease um, in the population was extremely high. And so what there was a lot of were people with bad coughs, um, who were chesty, who developed bronchitis and emphysema, I presume. Um, and those, um, the extent to which some or all of those things uh, were linked to asbestos is, um, well, now would be a matter of conjecture. We don't know. Um, but one of the other tricky things about asbestos-related disease is it's, it's what they call synergistic with tobacco smoke. So if you're a smoker and you are exposed, the risk rises quite high, it, it jumps up. Um, uh, so um, given, I suppose, in those days, about 80% of men would have been smokers, it's, it's almost impossible now to disentangle all of that, um, to be imprecise um, about it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Scented Stories, produced by Thames Festival Trust in partnership with Valence House Museum in Dagenham, and made possible by the generous support of the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Sound editing and production is by Brighton Digital Media, and thanks to all our featured interviewees, Jim Albert, Jackie Goosetree, Professor Mike Kelly, Eric Feezy, Avril Miller, Alice Ruby and the Women of Thamesview Library. Interviews were conducted by Katie Hodges, Bill Onwusa, Ian Jones, Helen Wintschool, Felicity Hawksley, Jamie Cho, Nikki Shale and Joe Cook. If you've enjoyed hearing these extracts, you can hear more episodes alongside the full oral history interviews and archive photos on our website at Thames Festival. The Barking Stink Project supported by Arts Council England, Port of London Authority and Mayor of London. <laughs>